7 is where we're going to be tonight. <clears throat> Second Chronicles chapter 7. So, every 4th of July, we celebrate Independence Day. Independence Day in 1776, <clears throat> actually, the truth is, the, the signing of the Declaration took place on the 3rd. Just, just saying, a uh, little history glitch <clears throat> there. <laughs> um, but in 1776, 55 men signed a document committing treason. They pledged their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor in that document. By signing this document, they secured liberty for themselves and for their descendants. And literally millions of people that would immigrate to our great country. Revisionist historians have been doing their best to destroy the godly heritage that our country has. Frequently, they claim that the signers of the Declaration of Independence were deists, atheists, and only in it for the money. <clears throat> A deist is someone that believes in God based on reason rather than relationship. And, and our, our world is full of deists. Uh, atheist, <clears throat> um, I, I, that everybody knows what an atheist is. <clears throat> they just don't believe in God. Period. Um, you, you know, I, I I was watching a documentary today on on uh, Israel, and and it, it started me thinking. Do you know what the prom, the prominent religion in in the state in the in the state in the country of Israel is? atheism yeah the prominent the prominent because atheism is a religion by the way if you didn't know that um, but but uh, atheism is the prominent religion in the nation of Israel which to me is just mind-boggling but you know <clears throat> but anyway the truth is that the overwhelming majority of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were born-again believers 52 of the 55 were documented believers in Jesus Christ. When they signed the declaration, they were signing a declaration of independence from Great Britain. But if you read the Declaration of Independence, they were, de they were declaring independence from Great Britain, but they were also simultaneously uh, signing a, a, a document declaring their dependence on God. So they were, they were, on one hand, claiming independence from Great Britain, but at the same time, claiming dependence on an almighty God. We truly have a godly heritage. <clears throat> but we have to admit 
that spiritual morality is on the decline in our country. We, we are the minority in our country today. Um, it would be safe to say, I believe, it would be safe to say that the United States of America needs revival. The giant that we're going to be talking about tonight, we've, we've been doing this series on facing uh, the giants in our lives. Tonight's giant is facing the giant of moral decline. Facing the giant of moral decline. In Second Chronicles, what's taking place here is this, uh, particularly chapter 7, is the week of the dedication to the temple. Now, <clears throat> those of you that know uh, and, and have read the Old Testament know that David, King David, desperately wanted to build the temple to God. Okay? But God would not allow him to do that. Does anybody know why God forbade him from that? He was a man of war. And uh, God wanted a man of peace to build the temple. Uh, very symbolic there. So what did, what did David do, though? Seeing he was not allowed to build it, what did he do? Okay, he, he gathered all the material, all the, I mean, it was, it was a, it was all right there waiting for him to die and then his son Solomon to come along and to be the person to raise up the, the, the temple. Um, <clears throat> David, I, uh, if my understanding serves me correct, David even hired the artist that did a lot of the wood carvings and the, and the and the the the, the temple furnitures and the and the different things, so <clears throat> in all this time, uh, David was not allowed to do it, but he in but he prepared everything so that Solomon, his son, who who took over for him as king of Israel, uh, would be able to just step in and and take over the the construction of, of the temple. <clears throat> Excuse me. During the week of dedication. And this is important. During the week of dedication, God appears to Solomon to give a promise to the nation of Israel. Okay? And I'm going to paraphrase the promise because we're going to read it here in a minute. But I want to paraphrase it for you so you it kind of puts it in 21st century vernacular. Uh, and this is the promise. If there is ever a time that God judges the nation because of sin, there will be a way back to God. Now, now let me read this again, my, my paraphrase, because it's important. If there is ever a time that God judges the nation of Israel because of sin, there will be a way back to God. Now, <clears throat> we, I could... I could stop right there and preach a whole message just on that promise. Because do we not need that promise in our lives as well? Okay, but that's not the context of our of our of our of our passage here. The context of the passage here is in is in a a a, a uh, um, 
country setting or national setting, not an individual setting. You can make the application, but it is in a national setting. So, <clears throat> Second Chronicles chapter 7, let's start reading in verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayers and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I com command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among the people. I want to stop right there. We are in the middle of a pandemic. Now, I am not a Bible scholar by any stretch of the imagination, okay? I'm just a simple pastor. But nowhere in Scripture have I ever read that Satan brought pestilence or Satan brought a famine. It's always been by the hand of God. Just say it, okay? Just <clears throat> verse 14, if my people, um, uh, yeah, uh, verse 14, uh, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from, uh, from heaven and will he forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now thine eyes shall be open. And mine ears attend unto the prayers that is made in this place. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank You for this day. Thank You for Your love. And Lord, as we look at this idea of moral decay, I want to ask You that You would speak to our hearts and that You would help us, dear God, desperately to see the message that You would have for us. Help us, dear God. We love You and we thank You. For it's in Christ's name we pray, Amen. The the two preceding the, the, the uh, chapter seven and verse fourteen is a verse that <clears throat> is very widely used. Uh, 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 I, I have heard I have heard many 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 messages on Second Chronicles chapter seven verse fourteen. Very seldom, in fact, I cannot recall a time where they have included the two preceding verses and the one after. Have you ever heard this said from a pulpit? Or maybe, maybe you've even thought it. The problem with our country is the church. Because is this not a national issue that we're talking about here? I, I, I have heard... Pastors stand in pulpits and scream and holler and, and jump up and down and say it's the church's fault that our country's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, I'm here to tell you it's not the church's fault. It's our fault. It's our fault. See, the national issue is an individual problem. Moral decay is an individual problem, not a national problem.
The signers of the Declaration of Independence did not sign the name of their church to the Declaration of Independence. They signed their personal names. God did not say if the local temple would get right with me, then you will see revival in your land. Moral decay is an individual issue. It's a national problem, but the answer lies in the individual believer. Number one, how then do we stop national decline or excuse me, moral decline in our nation. How do we stop it? Number one, seek personal revival. Seek personal revival. Revival, is, by definition, is, a, is an uh, invasion from heaven that brings a conscious awareness of God. National revival is nothing more than a collection of individuals that are getting right with God. When I was in college, some, some of the guys that I went to college with would oftentimes uh, uh, pray and, 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 and ask God to bring revival to our, to our country. And those are noble prayers. But what is God asking us to do? God is asking us to individually get right with Him. See, it is a... <clears throat> excuse me. It starts with personal revival. Look, look at verse 14. It says, If my people... My people... My people... The word my is an important word in, this, in, this, in the context of verse 14 because it speaks of uh, a relationship it, it clearly defines relationship if my people today there's a popular teaching it's called inclusive inclusive theology that's a mouthful inclusive theology uh, <clears throat> what anybody know what inclusive theology is Okay. Okay. Yeah. It, it is. It is. The, it's. Hey, we're all the children of God. Hey, I'm from the '60s, baby. You know, I grew up in the '60s. You know, those of you that are old like me know what I'm talking about. Hey, let's just all get around the campfire, hold hands, and sing Kumbaya. You know, we're all the children of God. That was the. That was the theme back in the '60s, wasn't it? And, and and that they they actually came up with a name for it, inclusive theology, because there are a lot of people that will tell you, oh, it doesn't matter what God you worship. <clears throat> it, 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 they're, they're all the same God. Well, I'm sorry, but it does make a difference because God says, my people. Very clearly, 
identifies those that know him and those that don't know him. So, very clearly, who is God speaking to in verse 14? To those of us that know him, my people. <clears throat> what did what did Jesus tell the the religious crowd in in uh, John chapter eight verse forty four? Ye are of your father the devil. Now that's harsh. Now this is the religious crowd. So if inclusive uh, theology was correct, or if it's correct, then you know. But obviously it's not. But ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father which ye do. He, he, was, uh, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth because there is no truth in him. When uh, he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is the liar and the father of it. Uh, Jesus was hard on the religious crowd. I mean, he just, he just you know, it's, an, it's amazing to me. Christians today coddle to the religious crowd and browbeat the, the poor. But did Jesus do that? No. He, it was just the opposite. Number one, he identifies the relationship. Number two, look, let, let's, let's keep reading verse 14. It says, If my people, which are called by what? My name. And I, I, I started, I started, you know, I've never, I've, I, I don't know that I've ever really studied this verse as much as I have for, for, this, for this message tonight. And I started thinking about it. And I thought, my name, what is, what is that? And, and, and I understand it, but I, I, I was trying to understand it in the context that he, he already identifies us as a relational uh, uh, person who is called by my name. And so I, I did some digging and I found out that the English term for uh, Jew or Jewish originates from the biblical Hebrew word uh, uh, Yehudai. I think I said that right, Yehudai. Uh, meaning from the kingdom of Judah or in a more religious meaning, it means be, to be a worshiper of one God. So when somebody would refer to themselves as a Jew, what they were saying is they believe in a single God. Why is that so important? Anybody? Okay, every, everybody else, in, in every other religion in the world at the time, was, was what, what do they call that? Okay, too many people talking at once. Polytheistic. They, they, they had multiple gods. So, so the, the name Jew or Jewish, which, by the way, uh, uh, calling somebody a Jew is, is not a derogatory remark, by the way. <clears throat> I, asked a, I asked a friend of mine who's Jewish, I said, is that a derogatory remark? He said, oh, absolutely not. Okay. So I just, anyway. So if you were Jew, then, then you, you would be identifying against the culture in believing in a single pluralistic God. 
the God. The I am God. So, <clears throat> that's the Old Testament. What about New Testament? What about the word Christian? We, we like to throw that word around, do we not? We, we like to, we like to uh, uh, use it to our advantage, do we not? Well, let me give you a little history on the name Christian. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, and by the way, the word Christian only appears three times in Scripture. Okay? I just thought I'd throw that out there. But in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, and it says, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year uh, they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And, and we, we hear this and we think, oh, that's really cool. But it wasn't cool. Again, what was the culture? It was anything but it was anything but Christian. And it was the unsaved who gave the name Christian to the believers of Jesus Christ. And it was a derogatory remark. It was, it was not a friendly, oh, hey, I'm a Christian. In fact, if you understand the word, it, it is something that somebody calls someone else. It's not something you call yourself. What does, what does the, I've, I, I have taught on this before, but what does the word Christian mean? Brandon? To be a party to Christ. Or <clears throat> we just had the election. And in this room is there 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 are primarily three um, political parties in our country. You have Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. And people oftentimes will identify themselves with one of those three things because that represents politically what they believe. Does that make sense? <clears throat> and that is exactly what the word Christian means. And the unsaved world were the ones that gave this really nasty derogatory remark to the people who <clears throat> lived like Christ. So my challenge to you partially tonight is this. Would you be accused by the people you know would you be accused of being a Christian? I hope so. I mean, isn't that kind of the point? That our lives should reflect Christ? Unfortunately, many believers today want to blend in. They don't want to stand out. If that's you, you might as well just turn me off right here. Because that's not what God's talking about in Second Chronicles chapter 7. My people, which are called by 
my name. Number two, number one, seek personal revival. Number two, seek renewal. Seek renewal. In the 1850s, the Fulton Street prayer revival began. A businessman named Jeremiah Lamphere decided to invite others to meet with him at noonday uh, for prayer. A small room on the third floor of the Fulton Street Church was secured for the first meeting. On that day, Lamphere found himself all alone in a room with 20 chairs. After 15 or 20 minutes, a few men wandered in. Six men were present at the first meeting. Lamphere continued to invite others. As the days passed, handfuls of praying men turned into several dozen. Soon the church at Fulton Street was too small to hold the crowd gathering for prayer. Arrangements were made with churches across the city to host the gathering. Within a few weeks, over 10,000 were meeting daily for prayer in New York City. There was no formal preaching. Rarely was there ever music. Anyone who wished could have five minutes to address the crowd. The power of the revival was... um, was that thousands of believers gathered to pray. Requests were read out loud and sent uh, from uh, from all over the country. One more, uh, excuse me, on more than one occasion, a request would be made for someone who unknown, uh, unknown to the person making the request was present at the prayer meeting. Prayer movement spread across the country, Chicago, Philadelphia, and other large cities saw thousands meeting to pray each day at noon. In smaller cities, the power of the revival was just as strong. According to estimates, as many as one million people may have been saved between 1857 and 1859 as a direct result of this prayer revival. A national renewal comes through the prayers of God's people who are called by His name and uh, as they diligently seek His face. I read that article recently and I thought, wow, what an incredible encouragement to us. One man who had a burden Invited a whole bunch of other people and six showed up. Six men at the very first meeting were responsible for a a revival that swept our country that lasted over two years. Upwards of a million people saved because of it. Countless lives, I'm sure, were changed because of it. All because of one man had a burden to pray at lunch. And I'll be honest with you, I I read that story and I'll be honest with you. At lunchtime, you can ask my wife, I'm a bear at lunchtime. If I I don't get what, (laughs) man, if I don't get to eat my lunch, I'm horrible. 
God forgive me. Letter A, humble yourself. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. True humility goes against our culture in a big way. Because our culture tells us everything has to be about us. True humility says just the opposite. You are a nothing. What did, what did Peter say in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5? Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elders. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Now, I, 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 I love Peter. I, I love Peter. Peter's one of those people I want to meet in heaven one day. Because here, obviously, P Peter understood what humility really is. But did he always? No. <laughs> Peter was, Peter was, boy, he's something. He was constantly sticking his foot in it. I think that's why I like him so much. We get along. But here Peter understands what true humility is. Early in his walk, he didn't understand it, but he does now when he writes this. You know, God is looking for people with servants' hearts. God isn't, isn't looking to promote the, 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 the promoted. God is looking for people who uh, have hearts that are free from pride. A heart that is moldable and shapeable. <clears throat> God hates pride. And, and you know, I, I've known that for a long time, and but just recently, I've, 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 I've kind of, I'm starting to understand better why God hates pride, because a prideful heart is a heart that is unmoldable. And if 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 I am going to be humble in my life, it's going to be, it's going to start when I give my life to to Him, and 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 He has the ability to mold my heart and my life. In Psalm chapter 34, verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be a contrite spirit, as of a contrite spirit. Humble yourself. Let her be. Pray. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. that The act of prayer in itself is an act of humility. How many of you remember in the Old Testament when Jesus gives the illustration of the priest and the uh, publican and that, that were praying in the temple? Okay, how did how did the uh, the priest pray? Okay, very elaborate, but physically, how did he how did he pray? Do you do you remember? No, that no, that's a different that's a different. No, he his his face is lifted to the sky. There's no humility in that. But how did the publican pray? With his head down. 
symbol of humility. Why, why do Christians across our country, hopefully, every time you sit down to the, to, the, to the dinner table, why do we bow our heads and pray? It's a symbol of, of humility. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he spake this parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, there's an understood truth here. What, does anybody see the understood truth here? Okay, don't give up. Well, yeah, that's, that's one of them, but that's not the one I picked. So you're wrong. <laughs> Boy, that one pride, I don't know what it was. Um, no, seriously, there's, there's an understood truth here that, that often we, we miss. The, the understood truth is this. If we don't pray, we will faint. So if you don't pray, you will faint. Pray and repentance have to go hand in hand. Okay? <clears throat> Verse 14, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and what? Turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance. Repentance. Revelations chapter 3, verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and what? Repent. God desperately wants us to get right with Him. And then let her see, we are to seek his face. We are to seek his face. The word seek here implies a diligent um, procurement of information. Um, it is not a, a haphazard seek. It is a deliberate search for something that you need. Like the, the, the parable Jesus tells of the woman who literally tore her house apart and sweeped the entire thing looking for a penny. Why? Because she was, she was seeking something that was precious to her. And that is, the, that is the exact same way we need to be approaching the things of God. We need to humble ourselves. We need to, to pray and we need to seek His face. What does that mean? Does that mean that we <clears throat> just nonchalantly go through life kind of hit and miss and and we can we get to blame everybody else on on our 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 country's moral decline no it doesn't if we are diligently seeking the face of god in our lives it is going to change who we are 
Proverbs chapter three, or excuse me, chapter two, verses three to five. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as hid treasures, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. How bad, how bad do you want to see the face of God? The answer to that question is determined by how hard you look. At the beginning, I read a promise, a paraphrased promise that God gave to the nation of Israel. It was this, if there is ever a time that God judges the nation because of sin, there would be a way back to God. That promise is not only good for the nation of Israel, it is good for the United States of America, it's good for Brazil, it's good for every nation under the sun today. But it's also good for you and me. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. I want to talk about wicked ways for a minute. It's not part of the, it's not part of the outline. But I, uh, what are wicked ways? I mean, we we read this we read this passage and we think, yes, praise God, yes, everybody needs to get right with God, and you need to start praying and you need to get right. We need to seek God, but I don't want to turn from my wicked ways. What 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 does it mean to turn from a wicked way? Huh? Repent. And if those of you that were in the military know exactly what it means to repent, repent means to do an about face. 180 degree turn. That's what it that's what repent means. Another another a way to understand repentance means to agree with God. So, if I am to repent from my wicked ways, then you know that that's kind of a very broad statement, is it not? Because who defines wicked ways? God does. We need to understand this book. And we need to understand the spirit that lives within us. If you if we are if we are born again, we have the spirit of God that living within us. And the Spirit of God will speak to us and help us to define those wicked ways. Through the reading of His Word, through the preaching of His Word, and through the leading of the Holy Spirit, we can walk a holy life. Number three. Seek personal revival. Seek renewal. And then number three, the the promise, restoration will come. Restoration will come. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then 
then. That is a conditional word. It is, it is a, it is a, it is, well, it's really not conditional. It's a connecting word. Okay, it connects two thoughts. But it, it is a connecting word that has a condition built into it. Do you understand what the condition is? <laughs> okay, in other, in other words, what God is saying is, there is always a way back to me when you do what I asked you to do. That is what he's saying here. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Restoration comes when when we fulfill the first part. When we do the things that God has asked us to do, then revival can come to a nation. Moral decline is not the church's problem, or, or fault, excuse me. It's not the government's fault. Although the government, I think, speeds it up some. That's my personal opinion. I don't care who's in Washington. They're all crooked. <laughs> Did y'all hear that on the, on the internet? <clears throat> there, there, are, there are a few Christians. They're not all bad, honestly. It's, it is the believer in Jesus Christ, the supposed Christian, who doesn't share their faith in the community at work, who doesn't live the life that people can look at that and say, you know what, there's something different about that individual. See, the, na- the problem with national de- de- decline is an individual responsibility. And when we will get right, like uh, uh, um, Lamphere, I forget his first name, but the, the guy I read about earlier, one man got a burden and it changed our country Psalm chapter 85 verse 6 wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee David was pleading with God for revival I read something recently that Colin Powell said he said this we have to start thinking of Americans as family. We have to stop screaming and screeching at each other, stop hurting each other, and instead start caring for, sacrificing for, and sharing with each other. We cannot move forward if, if critics uh, and, and critics, um, excuse me, cyn- if, <laughs> we cannot move forward if cynics and critics Uh, swoop down and pick apart everything that goes wrong at a point where we are uh, lose sight of what is right, decent, and uniquely good about America. And what he's saying is, is true. But the problem is our country needs Christ. We don't need to we don't need to get along with each other. 
We need Christ. Because Christ is what changes lives. What can we do to help our great nation? The answer is in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then, then, and only then will we see God do great things in our country. It takes us individually doing the right thing. Facing the giant of moral decline starts with personal revival, renewal, and then restoration. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this.